Um, you know, one of the awesome things about God is He takes all of our junk and our mess and, uh, and all the trials that we face throughout our life, and He kind of molds that and, and makes it into something useful. And um, for most of you, you know my, uh, <laughs> my 2015 was one of those years. And it's one of those New Year's where you just celebrate on New Year's Eve because it's over, you know. And uh, I know everybody in the building's probably had one of those years or one of those days or, or those times where you just, uh, you're just trying to get through it. And it's not pleasant. And it, some of it, and especially for me this past year, it was, uh, it was trials that, that weren't just those uh, you get over them and you fly by. It's the ones that shake you to the core. And it's the ones that make you ask all the big questions and, and really search your relationship with God and really, um, really dig deep. But I think those are the most valuable ones also. So um, let's pray real quick. Lord, we just thank you. God, we thank you for um, drawing us in here in this building this morning and, and assembling us as a family of believers. Lord, we do pray for anyone in the building who's dealing with something right now, Lord, or is about to deal with something. Um, Lord, that you would uh, reassure them that you're on the throne this morning, that you're in control. And that, Father, um, that nothing passes through your fingers without, uh, without it being good. So, Lord, we, um, we ask that you would empty us today. Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit that all the thoughts and ideas that we have, Lord, would, would just uh, fade away and that we would uh, pick up your thoughts and your intentions for our life, Lord, and we'd live those out. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, the title of the sermon today is The Eye of the Storm, and, and I guess what I'm trying to accomplish is to give you some, some ways, being that I just lived through the eye of the storm, and it's pretty fresh in my mind, is to give you some ways that I got through it. And to maybe help all of us get through these things in a way that is not just, uh, just you know, pass on to the next storm, but it prepares us and it, and it gives us something to really combat the storm with. So uh, some of us, uh, life just doesn't work out the way we thought it should. Some of it starts with we have a bad day and it snowballs into a bad week and then it goes into a bad month and then we end up in depression and it turns out to be a bad year, and then year after year passes by, and you don't know how you got here, but life's not what you want it to be. So I, I wanted to stop for a moment, and I wanted to look at some people. It, it'll make you feel better. I wanted to look at some people that started out with a bad day. Let's go ahead and play that video. Tell me your passion's gone away And I don't 
All right, so those are some people that have had a pretty bad day. Um, and for some of us, you know, that's really not what kicks it off for us. It's, it's more or less a, a, the serious things, the big things that really start to, to weigh on us and, and maybe catch us off guard and sweep us off our feet. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a death in the family or someone close. Um, maybe it's uh, some kind of tragedy or, or maybe it's a spouse left or something major happened that, and your life just seems to, from that point on, it sets your life in a downward spiral and, and it just feels like you can't get yourself back together. Um, you know, the time to prepare for a storm isn't while the storm is starting or while it's going on. The time to prepare for the storm is before it comes. You know, I, I grew up in Florida and we had hurricanes down there and I think my parents are actually trying to deal with the hurricane while they're down there right now. But um, you would see everybody going to Lowe's or, or Home Depot and they'd be getting tons of plywood and they'd be boarding up their houses and getting food and, and, and get prepared for the storm to come. And those were all the, always the people that survived the storm and their house wasn't a mess when it was over. And it, actually, to make it more relevant, in, in Indiana, we do this with snowstorms, right? It, we, if we think we're going to get a big snowstorm, everybody goes to Kroger, right? And it always blows my mind because the only thing they really get is bread, eggs, water, and milk. It's like, I don't know, I've never sat around my house and ate a loaf of bread. And <laughs> I don't, I, what can you make with that, you know? I mean, we, we have this need inside of us that when there's a storm coming, we need bread, right? And, but that's what we do. We prepare for storms that come. Um, I think that some, sometimes that's the issue. We don't prepare for storms. The other thing is maybe foundationally we're all messed up. You know, we, we, we've put the wrong things first, and then when a storm comes, it all falls apart. I got these cups here, and I wanted to, to just use this for an illustration, but this is how some of us build our lives, right? Um, we take the things that we think make up a good life, right? The things that we've been told make a good life are like, I guess most of us emotionally or, or mentally, if we're going without God and we're just going to build it on our own, if we're going to build a good life, we put these things in place. One of them that you'll hear people say all the time is life is all about family, right? So they put family down there on the foundation. And then some people say, if I have a good job, that makes up a pretty good life. That's a big part of our lives. And then others, uh, a good husband or a wife, that's what will fix my life. You know, if I could find someone and I could put them right down there on the foundation, then that's going to help me, you know. Um, home. Some people think, whatever you want to call that, if I have my own home or I have a place that I call home, that's what's really important in life. Uh, financial security. Some people think that once you have financial security, um, everything is going to work out better. You know what I mean? The, if I was rich, if I win the lottery, or if I could just get to a place where I'm not worried about finances, that's going to help me with life. Some people will throw education on there. And they think as long as I get a good education, that's a big part of me. That builds a good life. Other people go with, uh, they need a, a nice car. And if they could throw a good car in there, a good education, they're building this life that they feel like is really a good thing. Um, 
And then after you get some of these foundation things in place, people start trying to do the, you know, the bonus stuff. And that's uh, doing good deeds. And you can have some grandkids, and that's going to make life better. And then we can top it off right here at the top. Whoa. My bad. We could top it. We could top it at the top with retirement. And if we could build this life right here, then in a lot of our minds we think this will equal joy, peace, happiness. This is what we're looking for. This is the American dream, right? If we build all these things and we layer them with other good things, that we end up with a good life. And that's a flawed philosophy. That's, that's contrary to what God teaches. The problem with this life is, if one thing happens down here on the foundation, then the whole thing falls down. So if a spouse leaves or someone dies or, or, or a home gets repossessed, anything like that happens, you end up with a total mess. And then we're broken. And we don't know where to turn. When to start we got to build it foundationally with one thing. We start with Christ. We put him at the foundation. And we no longer are the masters of our faith. We're no longer the, the, the ones who are controlling our lives. But we surrender that control to God. And when we surrender that control to God and we put him on the foundation, we don't have to worry about building our lives anymore. Do we still have to be responsible? I'm not saying you sit in your recliner and you just wait for God to shower blessings on you. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that when we put God at the foundation, then we, we submit to him. We hand over control of our lives to him. And we just say, Lord, I, I trust you. And I know that you're good. And that your purposes for me are good. So when we build a life on Christ, that's going to help us when we run into these storms. Um, in reality, we have no control over our circumstances for the most part. For the most part. Things just happen to us. It's like, it's like if someone threw you in a raging river. And that's kind of how life is. It's wild. All right? and, and those of us who really think we can control what happens and we can control life, we're really delusional. Because this stuff just happens sometimes. Sometimes it's our own repercussions from what we've done. But mostly... Life just happens, and it's like being thrown in a raging river. In a river, you don't have any control. You're just tossed every direction. You know, it's like you can cling for, for something to grab to, but if that river's pushing you down, then there's nothing you can do but try to keep your head above water. And then we run into rapids, and we run into rocks, and we get banged up, and, and then we run into this easy river, you know, where it's nice, and we just want it to stay that way. But then as soon as you get to the easy river, there's a waterfall, right? And it just feels like everything got washed out from under you. So these are all uh, different ways that we, we can get ourselves in trouble when we do run into tri trials of uh, different kinds. Uh, my first division is the struggle is real. And we hear that a lot these days. The struggle is real, right? But, um, but it is. I wanted to read this scripture. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. 
faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at the sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and deserts and on the sea. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothes to keep me warm. Then besides all that, I have a daily burden of concern for my churches. Anybody here ever have a rap sheet like that? I don't think so. That's one of God's greatest servants. This is Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament. And he's, he's describing all the, all the struggles that he's having in life. So if Paul isn't exempt from the struggle, then I'm definitely not exempt from the struggle, and you're definitely not exempt from the struggle. Actually, there's nothing that makes anyone exempt from the struggle of life. Especially if you're going to serve Christ, you're probably going to run into more opposition. So the things that uh, we struggle with, Paul struggled with, and that helps me. Um, doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter uh, how many kids you have. Doesn't matter if you're single, married. Whatever it is, you're going to struggle. So it makes sense to me that the struggle is inevitable, that we prepare for that, that we be ready when it comes. Um, I love to watch storms roll in from time to time. It's one of my favorite things to do, actually. And, and my dad's old house, he had this, um, this deck with this big porch on it. And uh, it was an all-brick home. And you could sit out on the deck under this porch, and you could just watch it for miles rolling in. And you see the thunder and the lightning. And you could see the rain in the distance. And then you could hear the rain hitting the trees. And then the, that, that big wind comes, that cool wind comes before the storm. And it's just, to me, it's an awesome thing to watch. I think it, it reminds me of God's power. You know, and, and I can watch the storm come and I watch it rain and then I watch it go. And uh, I, I think there's two sides to that coin. One, if I'm in a, a boat, a small boat out in the middle of the ocean, I don't necessarily like to see that storm coming. Or two, if I'm in the middle of a field and there's lightning everywhere and, the, and, and hail and torrential rain, I don't really like to see a storm coming either. But if I'm under the protection of a roof, then let it come. You know, I can actually enjoy it. I can watch it come and, and I, can, I can see it and, and take it in and, and just kind of understand it. And, and it's the same in, the lives, in our lives when storms start to come towards us. If we're exposed, then storms are a bad deal. We don't look forward to those at all. But if we live under the shelter in the cover of God, if we live under his protection, then a storm is just something to watch. You know, it's inevitable. It's coming anyway. So we can sit back as Christians, as those that trust God, and we can watch these storms come into our life, and we can really sit back and learn from them. 
We can sit back and study him. We can, we can know that at the end of the day, we will not die. We will not perish. We will not be taken by this storm, but we're protected through the storm. So it, it changes everything. I, I, I made a list of um, basically four things that are essential to surviving the storm. And uh, the first thing is preparation. Um, and in Daniel, I'll, I'll, well, let me talk about it for a minute. Preparation is, is critical for how we, re- we react when the battle or when the storm comes. Um, preparation for a Christian should look like studying his word. should look like uh, prayer. You know, that, I always said this, that I go to church not because I like to be churched. I go to church because I'm afraid of who I am when I'm not in church. And, and that should be our attitude is that I'm afraid to what happens to my heart if I get out of this building, if I get away from God's word, if I get away from his truth, then, then I'm vulnerable. And I don't like that. So um, preparation, you know, any soldier who's going to go to battle is going to prepare. One, because he doesn't want to die. And two, because he wants to win. And any sports team is going to, I mean, if you watch the NFL or, or any of that, the preparation that goes into one game is insane. It, it, they know every player. They know, they know tendencies. They, they, they study film constantly. They know if a quarterback, you know, says a word that that's, that means this. So they're prepared going into a battle. So if they're preparing for things like, like sports, how much more sh- prepared should we be for life? and for storms that are coming our way. Now, we know they're coming. We are 100%. You know, actually, there's basically three phases of a storm in your life, and that is either a storm is heading your way, or you're living in a storm right now, or you just got done with the storm. It's one of the three, and that's kind of how life is. It, it, it keeps going like that, and and it's not like we pass one test and then we're assured not to have an, another. It, it, it's continual and it's through our life and it's for our own good. So it, it's, it's just not intelligent to not prepare for what we know is already coming. And Daniel, uh, and a lot of times we, we, put these, uh, we put these storms in as, as physical, but for us, they're more spiritual. I think for that, it makes it really hard for us to prepare because we think, well, it, I can't see it. I can't touch it. It's not necessarily real. We can kind of mess with that in our head, but it's a spiritual battle that's coming for you. And, and honestly, what Satan wants is he wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants you to focus on the bad. He wants you to turn from God. So what he's doing, he's trying to put hurdles and obstacles in your life that, that keep you from saying, oh, this storm is for my own good. I know that God is teaching me, he's growing me, and he wants you to step over here on the side of negative. And God is destroying me. God won't help me. Where is God now? And I know we've probably all said that in the room. Where is God now when I need him most, right? Well, in Daniel 10, it gives us just a glimpse of a spiritual battle that's happening all around us. Even though we can't see it, this is happening. And Daniel's talking about something dear to his heart. And this is a... Starts in verse 2. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. 
All the time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine, crossed my lips, and I had used fragrant lotions until these three weeks had passed. So Daniel is dead serious. He's fasting. He's praying. He's got something that's weighing really heavy on his heart. And on April 23rd, as I was standing on the banks of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing and a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished brass and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The man was with me, saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew uh, deathly pale and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay uh, with my face on the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. And I want to stop there for a minute. You know, that's exactly how God feels about you. You know, sometimes we get in the middle of this stuff and we've been praying our hearts out and we don't feel like God's answering. We don't even feel like God cares. And really what God wants to do to you is he wants to stop you right in the middle of your trial and he wants to pick you up off your hands and knees and he wants to hold you and tell you, Brad, you are precious to me. And that's the case for everyone in the room. And, and anything else is a lie from Satan, but that's exactly God's heart and how he feels about you. No matter what you've done, or even if you brought this trial on yourself, God wants you to know that this morning, that you are precious to him. Um, then he said, uh, don't be afraid. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God. Your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in an answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit of the prince of the, spirit prince of the kingdom of Parisia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to, me, to help me and left him there with the spirit of prince of the kingdom of Parisia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns at the time yet to come. So basically what happened is immediately after Daniel started praying, God sent down an answer. And he was going to put this answer on Daniel and calm his fears and, and, and prepare him for what was coming. But in the, in the midst of coming down with the prayer, um, he was intercepted by Satan, right? Th this name is another name for Satan. And he did battle for 21 days in the heavenly realms, right? In the spiritual realms, he does battle for 21 days. And then eventually, God sends down Michael, the archangel, to really take over and kick some butt, right? So we think sometimes that God's just twiddling his thumbs or he's, he's not concerned with me right now or he doesn't care about what's happening in my life. When in reality, there's a spiritual battle going on. Because what Satan doesn't want you to know is that you are precious to God. That he cares about all of your trials. That he cares about all the things going on in your life. No matter how insignificant they might be, God cares. And that's the main message that Satan wants to block. So don't get down when you think that uh, God doesn't care. The second 
big thing is trust. You can't trust someone unless you really know them. You know, there's some new people in here today. I, I don't know you, but I can't trust you like I trust some of the other people in the building just for the simple fact that I don't know you. And, and, and able to, to be able to trust someone fully, especially when you're going through some of the hardest stuff in your life, you've got to know them. And you've got to know them deeply. So if you've never invested the time in God, and you've never invested in your relationship with God, then you can't expect to trust God like all of a sudden. He's not a light switch, and we can't just turn it on and go, okay, God, I trust you, because we're going to go back and forth. We have to know God. We have to know his nature. The only way to get to know him and get to know his nature is to dive into his word. It couldn't be any more simpler. He put words in like every language in a book for you to read. He's given Bible studies all over the place. There's awesome Bible studies all over that we can engage and we can get to know God. We can pray. He's accessible. Um, in Jeremiah 29, 11, we can read here that, um, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So we have promises from God. From the God of the universe, we have a promise that he is good, that he is trustworthy. In Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Um, so we know without a shadow of a doubt by God's word that he is for us. So we can trust him if we'll dig into his word and we'll learn these things. He's available to us. He's, he's accessible. We can talk to him. Um, he's not distant or unreachable. And uh, Romans, or I'm sorry, John 10.10 10 says, The thief purpose is to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying lives. So if you ever question God's motive, it's right here. And these are things we need to know. These aren't things that when we're going through all of our garbage and we get the, uh, the feet swept out from under us that we can just pick up our Bible and we can read. These are things that we need to know. These are things that we put in our heart. So when those things come, man, all this stuff starts flashing through your mind. And your, your first reaction is this. Okay, this is crazy and this is wild. And I know everything seems out of control right now, but I know that God told me that he's going to work this out for good. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that he is, his purpose for my life is good. So you got to get a reality check for a minute and you go back to scripture and you pull up this stuff from your heart and you go, you know what, this seems really bad right now. But there's no doubt that it's going to turn out good if I'll just follow God's lead on this. So the third thing is humility. I don't know about you, but I have trouble liking a proud person. But the humble person is so easy to like those people. It's so easy to love the humble. You know, they assume that uh, they probably messed up or they did something wrong. If they didn't do something wrong, great. But they're, they're not proud. They're not looking to make a point. They're just, uh, they're humble. And, and when stuff comes into our life, our first reaction can't be, well, it was him or it was her, but it wasn't me. I wasn't the one who caused this. We need to first look at ourselves. And we have to be humble. And we have to look at it from the perspective of, okay, what did I do? What, 
and go through that checklist. But if all we do is point fingers all day long, we're never going anywhere with God because we can't get past ourselves. So um, Philippians 2, 3 through 11, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only... Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave. Instead, he gave up... Oh, I read that. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross... Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the, the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So humility equals elevation. And, and even God, even God in flesh, was humbled as a slave, was humbled and crawled on a cross for you. So if God himself is humble, then what the heck do we have to be proud of? Honestly, what do we think we have this great knowledge that we can get ourselves through all these trials and these storms and we can handle the situation? And the fourth thing, perspective. You know, you ever, uh, you ever look at a situation and... Uh, it seems different than it did before. Um, if we're living for the here and now, in other words, if we are looking for instant gratification, look at me, I need to be center of attention. Um, you know, not knocking on Facebook, there's nothing wrong with that stuff as long as it's not, you know, super important to you. But Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these things are designed for one thing. You can post a photo, you can post something, and instantly you can get a consensus on who likes it. And man, that's, that's dangerous territory. Because all of a sudden, we're living in an instant gratification state of mind. As to where if someone doesn't start liking our stuff, we're kind of like, oh man, I must, I must be kind of messed up. We start drawing our worth from what other people think about us or what other people think about some post. And, and that's a really dangerous line to tread um, because we all know our, our worth comes from God. So if our perspective is warped and we believe that everybody else's opinions and what everybody else thinks of us matters, then man, a storm hits us and we're looking around to everyone else to, think what, to see what they think about what just happened to us, then we're totally off focus. Instead, we've got to set our hearts and our minds on the future, on the prize. You know, we've been given an awesome promise, and that's in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And this is just a tiny little glimpse of it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard the loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. 
He'll wipe every tear from their eye and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain and all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So we have for everyone who believes in Christ and walks with Christ and has given their life over to Christ, we have this promise. You know, and just a guess, but a mistake I made or, or a bad day that I had, or a situation or circumstance, in 10,000 years from now, is probably going to be wiped from my mind. and not going to care about it too much. So we put so much weight on what happens in the here and the now, and if this day was bad, or if this day was good, or if this one, somebody said this to me and they hurt my feelings, or if this person left, or if this person died, all those things, yeah, they might hurt for or sting for a moment, but they shouldn't be our worth. They shouldn't define us and they shouldn't drive us into depression because we have the greatest hope and the greatest future. And we have eternity to look forward to. So perspective is a big issue. My second division is trusting God through the storm. You know, our first reaction is also probably the most honest reaction in most cases. You know, in other words, when a trial hits your life, what happens to you first? You start cussing and screaming and kicking and throwing. I know I used to. Um, do you uh, start blaming others? You start looking around to see who you can deflect this to? Or do you hit your knees? You start with prayer. Does your mind start revolving around the scripture? Does your, your thoughts start thinking about, okay, what has God got for me here? Or do you go straight to, why? Why did you do this to me, God? Like we have any authority to challenge God on why he's doing anything, but that's what we do sometimes. We go straight to, why? And instead, we need to get to a place where we need to prepare for these storms so that when our, our, our storm comes, our first reaction is prayer. What's going to happen, God? I understand you brought this to me, and I know you're going to bring me through it, Help me to deal with it in a way that would honor you. Those are the things that we need to start thinking about. Um, basically, it, it always comes down to who's in control. So as humans, one of our flaws, we have many, but one of our flaws is that we can only see what's right in front of us or what just passed us, right? And a lot of times we forget what passed us. But mostly we see what's dead in front of us, all right? And we kind of focus on what's happening right now. And see, God sees the whole picture, right? And I know you guys have heard this before, but I, I was thinking of ways that I could kind of give you an application. And, and one thing is, you know, if you walked in in the very first heart transplant and it was already in progress and the doctor has this dude on the table and his chest is cracked wide open, and there's blood everywhere. Imagine you walked in mid-surgery and, and there's blood everywhere and a doctor has a guy's heart in his hand and he's snipping the arteries. You would freak out, you know? And, and you wouldn't understand what was going on. And, and from your perspective, you would go, man, this is bad. I'm not a professional, but a guy with his heart in another dude's hand is never good, right? So... You can't see the end result. You don't know that in order 
for all this to happen, it saved the guy's life. And by the end of the surgery, the guy was patched up. He woke up and lived another, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever. You, you can't see all of that from your perspective. It's kind of like for anyone here who cooks or bakes or anything. Sherry made some cookies last night and they were good. But one of the things I noticed is she was putting all the ingredients together, you know, and she put some powder uh, and some oil <laughs> and some water <laughs> and some eggs. And then she mixed it all up. Now, how many of you here would walk up to the bowl before it's mixed and go, that looks delicious? You know, that, that's exactly what I was hoping for. And I don't think any of us would look at that as, as success or an accomplishment. But then you stir it all up, you put it in the oven for a little bit, and it's amazing. So that's a lot of times where we're at. We can't see what God's doing. And from our perspective, it looks like a total mess. It looks disgusting. It looks like everything's falling apart and there is nothing good to be had here. But from God's perspective, he sees the end. And when you pull those things out of the oven, they're amazing. And God knows that. And that's what God wants to bring into your life are those amazing things. But he can't do it without first re-scrambling everything sometimes breaking down walls. Sometimes he needs you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. So he's going to break you down. He's going to do these things and he's going to bring you through them to get to that end result because ultimately he knows that's what's best for you. Um, it's like I got a puzzle piece up there and, and it'd be like us taking a, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and taking one piece and trying to figure out what the puzzle is from that one piece. It's impossible. And it's impossible in your life to take one moment or, or even a span of a month or whatever it is and try to determine what your life's going to be. We don't see the whole thing, but God's got it. And that's where it comes into trust. And all we, we're supposed to, to, to just narrow in on God and have tunnel vision on him. And really, it's so easy. If we could just follow his lead, and trust that he's got it. All we have to do is walk in line with him. But we get off on this thing and we start thinking life's over and this is terrible. I'm never going to recover. And, and this is why. Why did you do this to me? When really we just need to sit back and relax and watch God. Can everybody do something for me? Take your hand and put it in a, a, little, a little shape like this. Now close your right eye and put this over your left eye. And see, that's what we can see right there. That's about it. You know, we see the moment to moment. All right, now, now take it off and look around. Now you can see everything. That's what God sees. So we got to remember this stuff when we go into these trials, that God sees everything, and we're just this little glimpse of what's happening here. So really, our job more than anything is to trust God through this stuff. Um, I'm going to give you some background. We're going to show a video. It's just a couple minutes long. And actually, it's, it's a long interview with Larry King. But I'm just going to show two minutes of it. Stevis Curtis Chapman, a lot of you know him. He's a, a popular Christian artist. And uh, a few years back, he had one of the greatest trials of his life. 
Something really awful happened in his family. His, he has six kids. Three of them are adopted from China, little girls. And he has three of his own. And <clears throat> they were having a uh, graduation party. Also coupled with his daughter just got engaged. So we we're having an engagement party. So it was this busy day around the house. Everybody's running around doing different things, preparing for this. And his teenage son pulls in. And when his teenage son pulls in the driveway, he doesn't see that the five-year-old little girl takes off running from the playground and he runs her over with the family SUV. And Stephen and his wife, they run out and, and survey the damage and, and they don't even know who it is. She's got so much blood and so much damage. They don't even know who it is. And he finally realizes that it's his daughter, you know, and, and that this terrible thing has happened. Um, ultimately, the little girl dies. And... Uh, it's a terrible tragedy. There's grief from the son who hit the daughter. The parents are a mess. And what I want you to focus in on is his reaction. Larry asked him a couple questions. I want you to focus in on, on I want to give you a real life example of someone who, who does it the way we need to do it. Go ahead. The Chapmans know God, and they know God deeply. The Chapmans had done their work in preparation for the tragedy that just hit their family. It no doubt rocked them to the core, but they were ready for the storm. 
And when you're ready for the storm, the only thing the storm can do is increase your faith. Because you, you, you're seeing from a different perspective that God brought this to you and he's going to bring you through it. And when you get to the other side of the storm, you see the blessings that were built up by enduring the storm. And you see the change that he made in your life. And you're filled with praise. So you can use these storms to either break you down or build you up. And the Chapmans, they were ready. And that's what I want for everybody in this room today is that we're ready because it's coming. It might not be a child's death. It might not be something that tragic. But in one way or another, it's coming. Um, you know, oftentimes as Christians, we get a bad rap. We, we look at the negative, right? Everybody wants to talk about all the things we can't do as Christians. And, and I get a little tired of that talk personally because to me, there's so many advantages to living this life. There's so many good things. Yeah, I know we're party poopers, right? We, we, you know, we can't go cheating. We can't cheat on our taxes. We can't do all these little things. We can't be lying to everybody. We can't do this. And everybody wants to focus on what we can't do. But the amazing thing is we have such advantages as a Christian to life. We actually have the key. We have, we have everything we need to live this life and live it abundantly. Um, and the largest advantage is we walk with God. So when everybody else is shaking their head and trying to pick up the pieces, we're still standing. You know, these tragedies, they don't kill us. They don't destroy our lives. They don't lead into deep depressions that you can't get yourself out of because we don't have the perspective that this, is life, this life is all I have. We're looking forward to eternity. Um, So I guess the, the, the big question is, what are you doing personally to walk close with God? What are you doing personally to prepare for your storm coming? Anything? If the answer is nothing, then we've got some work to do. The good news is there's a church here to support you. There's a, a study starting on uh, September 12th, BSF, over in Columbus. It's amazing. It's, it's, it'll teach you all about the Bible. It'll grow you in his word. Those are the things that we need to start doing. And if we do those things, then we can be like the Chapmans here and, and be able to endure. Uh, my third division is in the struggle. This is the good news. It seems like I've been giving you a lot of bad news, but this is the really good news, is that uh, Romans six twelve through 14, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument for evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, but for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So you are no longer subject to the, the raging river. You don't have to be torn and, and beaten against the rocks. Christ living in you is what he, God says he does. He comes and he lives in you. Now we have the ability to, to, to look at God's word and to endure these storms. We can end the struggle. So you have everything you need to end the struggle. Um, make no mistake, this struggle is really defined. It's good, 
and it's evil. And, and that's the choice. There's really only two choices in life when you come right down to it. And that's if we're going to do good, then we follow God and we hold to him. If we're going to go with evil, then we, we follow sin and we cling to sin. But we don't have an option of holding each hand. So we have to make a, a decision in our life. Are we going to let go of sin? And does that mean that we're going to become perfect? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we're never going to sin again? No. But it does mean that in my mind and in my heart, it's a tragedy when I sin. That it tears me up. That I can't sleep that night. That it, that it bothers me. That it shakes me because I know I'm acting out of character. I know that you know, like when I was a little kid and I would do something and, and uh, you know, I, I'd set the yard on fire or whatever I did, my dad gets upset with me and, and more than getting in trouble, what bothered me was that I really disappointed my dad. And that's the same thing we should be feeling with God. It's not that we did something bad, it's that we let God down. It's that we were less than what we should have been for God who gave everything for us. And that disappointment should be what drives us and, and what leads us to continue to hold to God. Um, and in closing, do you trust God or not? That's what it all boils down to. Prepare for our battles. Um, and, and this is kind of a good principle, but stop waiting for your life to turn out the way you thought it should. You know, I think that's the majority of our problem at times is we have in our mind goals and visions and there's nothing wrong with that of how we want our life to turn out and we put everything in place for our life to turn out good and for things to happen um, the way they should and when it doesn't and when it all falls apart and our plans uh, don't work out, we get depressed. We give up. We start thinking that this isn't how it's supposed to go. Instead, submit yourselves to God. Understand, your plans don't really mean much. You know, there's that, that cliche that, you know, if you want to make God laugh, laugh, tell him your plans. And that's the truth. Um, so we have a choice. You know, I, I want to live in an abundant life. And, and, and I want to be happy and joyful. And, and I want peace in my life. I think that's what everybody wants. But that only comes through Christ. Kelly, you can come on up. That only comes through Christ. It doesn't come through, through this, this stacked up life we try to put together. I got a question. How many of you really love your life? I mean, love it. I, I think it's probably scary how many people can't answer that. Yeah, I love my life, you know. Do we love living? Yes, at times. But do I love my life? And if the answer is no then I can give you a surefire way. This is 100 proof that this will work. This isn't a scheme. This isn't a 12-step plan. It's nothing like that. This is a surrender. And, and it's coming to a place where you hit your knees and you tell God, I can't do it anymore. And, and I've struggled with life and I've given it my best. And the only place it landed me was in the ditch. So this is a surrender. Um, 
And, and the ironic thing is, when you surrender to God, that's when he can start to work. When he hears the words, I can't do it anymore, that's when he steps in and he says, good, because I can So if you're not there, that's where we need to be. Um, God's called us to much more. Not to just get through life or endure life, but to live it and to enjoy it and to be abundant in it. Um, I want to read this last scripture, Hebrews 12, 1 through, 1 through 12. Therefore, since we are uh, surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion uh, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured for sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives for the struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to us as his children? He said, may God, my God, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. I'm going to end there. Um, that's it. That's all I really have, but we're going to do communion in a minute, and you guys are welcome to come up. If you know God and, and you trust God with your life, uh, maybe this is the first time, and you're ready to, to surrender that life, and you're ready to give up on, on all your efforts, and you want to just take all these cups, and you want to get rid of all these little foundations you built for yourself, and you want to plant one firm foundation in your life, and you want that to be Jesus. And I encourage you to come up this morning. And there's people in this church, or you can talk to me, or anyone here, and, and just make a commitment today to let go of all these things and turn your life over to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, Father. We thank you for coming here to save us, Lord. We were a hopeless people, lost in our sin. But Lord, you, uh, you loved us too much to leave us the way we were. Lord, the message is the same today than it was 2,000 years ago. Lord, you're still on the throne and you're still in the business of, of changing hearts and changing lives. So Lord, we, uh, no matter where we're at with our walk with you, we come today surrendered. We come today ready to change and Lord, maybe we come today just ready to, to end the struggle. Lord, we come to you today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.